Good morning, and welcome to the best of the semester speech convocation. This has become somewhat of a tradition over the last number of years, so that in the various oral communication classes in the fall, uh, one or two students is chosen to come and present at this morning's convocation. I think most of you know or have heard that the number one fear in life is that of public speaking. Have you heard that, some of you? That's what the experts say. And it actually comes ahead of number two, which is the fear of death. So what this all means, to put it in context, if you are at a funeral, you're better off in the casket than giving the eulogy. Now, the students who are speaking this morning have, I think, gone beyond that step and that stage. Um, all of you will at some time take this course, and so I wanted to introduce to you the professors that you might have if you are signed up for oral communication. I am one of them. My name is Pat McFarlane, and I am in the communication department. In addition, uh, Rachel Lapp, and why don't you stand? Oh, sure. Or Dwayne Stolzfus. And Seth Connolly is not able to be with us this morning. He also teaches the course, as does Becky Horst from time to time. So those are the folks that you might meet when you begin that class. I'm also happy to tell you this morning about the C. Henry Smith Peace Oratorical Contest, which is an annual contest that takes place early in the year. This next year, it will take place on Tuesday night, February 7. This is a contest that is held at other Anabaptist-related colleges as well. And we have our own campus contest. There will be five finalists who speak in Humble Center on Tuesday night, February 7. So I hope you will put that on your uh, busy calendars. We are especially excited this year because there are 17 pre-contestants who are trying out for the five finalist spots. Uh, and I know that some of you in the audience are part of that 17. So we hope that you will join us. Goshen College has a tremendous history and tradition of speech making and we're proud to be a part of that. Rachel Lapp is going to introduce the five speakers this morning and then you'll be hearing from your fellow students. Thank you. Good morning. I always enjoy giving introductions to speakers because, of course, it is their background and their experiences that give us some clues about my, what they might value, um, what they were going to speak about, and why perhaps they chose um, the topics about which they're going to speak. So speaking first today is Sam Jones. He's from South Dakota. He has the interesting combination of a theater and math double major, um, which means he's going to be a very inspiring uh, math teacher. Sam will make you love math. You may also recognize him from his recent stage role in Big Love earlier this fall. Aaron Helmuth is speaking on the gift of back massages. Maybe we need demonstrations here at the same time. A secondary education major from Elkhart, Indiana, she says she enjoys playing piano, running, drawing, pretty much any sport. 
um, and of course giving back massages. Candy Dhanaraj is speaking on the true cost of reaching out, and she is an international student from India. She's currently a sophomore who is uh, a, bi a molecular biology major, and she aspires to be a doctor, which you'll hear more about in her speech. Laura Crable will speak on the hate around us. She's also a molecular biology major. She's a sophomore, comes from Illinois. And while at college, she has enjoyed participating in tennis and orchestra. And finally, we'll hear from Matt Nafziger. He's speaking on the power of music. He's a first-year student from Goshen whose siblings, Kate and Aaron, also attend in Goshen, and his dad works right here in the um, development office. And Matt would love to work overseas in an accounting firm someday. So let's welcome all of our speakers this morning. I believe in the gift of back massages. It is a tradition at our family dinners that after dessert, I begin my rounds. I massage the back of each person, deep down for my dad, light and gentle for my grandma, and somewhere in between for my mom and aunt. My hands work to loosen and relax their muscles as I sip at hot coffee. When I feel their bodies melt beneath my hands and hear their appreciative sighs, I can't help but be happy too. Yet, this is more than a kind gesture. A back massage is a chance to relax and a much needed break. The American culture is fast paced and demanding. For my father, a principal at Prairie View Elementary School, a typical day starts at 6 o'clock a.m. He arrives before the sun is even up to prepare for the circus of kids. Then, the next seven hours are one big blur of energetic kids, countless meetings, concerned parents, and the inevitable talk with the troublemakers of the day. After the kids leave, he finds himself swamped and often works well into the evening, unbearing his desk. By the time he arrives home and joins my mom, brother, and I at the dinner table, his tired eyes tell the story of his day. But each of us around the table can relate. My busy day was filled with school, then basketball, then piano, now dinner, and finally homework. I sometimes wonder how we can put ourselves through such a whirlwind and still consider ourselves lucky to be living the American dream. In any case, my family values how the food, laughter, and back massages around the dinner table help us to unwind. When I headed off to Goshen College in the fall, I packed the tradition of back massages in my suitcase. Taking courses for a double major, working, tutoring, running, keep me constantly going until I finally collapse in my bed around midnight. To counteract this, my friend and I developed a massage exchange routine where we trade back massages at night. It is a great opportunity to talk and reflect on our day, how we did on our tests, what new work the prof gave us, the rating we gave the pizza on the rot that day, and the latest procrastination tool we came up with to avoid writing our English paper. We've discovered that these conversations, along with the back massage, help us to relieve stress and to study better at night. The massage exchange has not only added relaxation to our evening, but it has deepened our friendship as well. Whether at school or at home, whether for young or for old, there is something powerful about back massages. They penetrate the surface, pin the tension, then squeeze it out. Afterwards, my body is left limp and loosened, physically and psychologically lifted. I believe in a simple gesture in our complex world and a pause in the chaos of our lives. I believe in the gift of back massages.
past summer, I worked in an Indian missionary hospital situated in rural India. And during my stay there, I had one of those experiences, one of those life-changing experiences. So here's what happened. One morning, I was working in the microbiology lab all alone when suddenly I heard this huge, disturbing sound. It was a cry full of desperation and pain. And feeling slightly troubled, I decided to investigate. So I met with my mentor. He informed me that there had been this school bus full of children that had driven off the road and rolled down the mountainside. And he asked me whether I would be willing to help since they were shot at hand in the hospital. So without thinking, I said yes. So I walked from the second floor of the hospital building to the first floor, and I strolled through the wooden doors of the emergency room. And for the first time in my life, I stood still in complete shock. All around me in each bed was a child covered in blood and screaming out in pain. A nurse nearby thrust some cotton swabs and saline into my hands and said, start cleaning the blood of the wounds of these children. So I forced myself to move towards this one bed in a corner where there was this little boy lying on it. And as I started to wipe the blood from this little boy's face, my heart and my mind stopped. I couldn't stand it anymore. I couldn't stand watching this little boy going through this much pain, and I couldn't do anything about it. So I stood back, and I looked around. Utter chaos met my eyes. Doctors and nurses were running around trying to relieve the, the pain of these children. And for the first moment in my life, the little power that I thought I had completely disappeared. I was so powerless that I couldn't do anything to relieve the pain that these children were feeling at that moment. So the next thing I knew, I walked out of the emergency room with my head bent down, and I returned like that all the way home. When I got into my room, I fell on my knees and I cried out to God. And I said, God, how could you? These were only children. After two hours of staying like that in utter confusion, I decided to return to the hospital. You see, my mother is a director and she's a doctor over there, and I knew she'd be worried about me. So without going back to the lab where I worked, I walked into her office and I stood opposite her in complete silence. She looked at me, not saying anything, she came around, put her arms around me, and the next few words that she said changed my life forever. She said, Candy, a good doctor feels as much pain as their patient. Through this experience, I found the true reason for my dreams of becoming a doctor. Now, a different type of passion fuels me, fuels these dreams of becoming a true healer and to reaching out to people who truly need that treatment. But the most important experience, the lesson that I learned out of this experience was to reach out to others, you first need to reach within yourself. Thank you. The apartheid was a system of legal racial segregation enforced by the National Party government in South Africa between the years of 1948 and 1994. According to the Human Rights Commission report in 1997, 7,000 blacks were killed between those years. And information from governmental records show that thousands more were killed by secret police as well. This statistic should be disheartening 
But perhaps it is hard for us to relate, because for many of us, what happened in South Africa is really quite unfathomable. We hear a number of devastating accounts from stories and news sources, but yet it doesn't usually hit home. Perhaps because it isn't our home, or perhaps because it's just another part of history that we've tried to block from our minds. 1981, Galveston Bay, Texas. Knights of the Ku Klux Klan terrorized Vietnamese fishermen. The Klan used grenades, explosives, and other weapons to ambush the fishermen simply because they feared competition from the hardworking Vietnamese fishermen. Morris Dees was the attorney who stopped the Klan's terror campaign. The Southern Poverty Law Center has documented recent offenses, which include the following. November 20th, 2009, a little over a week ago, in Naples, Florida, 10 North Naples Middle School students were suspended after the district officials said the students participated in Kick a Jew Day. November 5th, 2009, in Cedar Creek, California, the grandson of Holocaust survivors returned to his desk and found that a swastika was carved into it. November 2nd, 2009, bricks with racial remarks were thrown through the windows of a home in Plainfield, Illinois. October 8th, 2009, a man in Portland, Oregon was arrested after mailing a hangman's noose to an Ohio civil rights leader. Is any of this hitting home for anyone? As a listener, you should feel uneasy and uncomfortable, especially because three out of the four last hate crimes I mentioned all took place within the last month. Just in case this isn't hitting home yet, I'm going to try and help walk this topic up to your back door a little bit more. The Southern Poverty Law Center has documented a staggering 926 hate groups currently operating in the United States. This number has increased by more than 50% since 2000. And as you can see, there are 16 operating, whoops, 16 operating in Indiana, three of which are in South Bend, and those are highlighted in red. While I may have just given an enormous amount of disheartening information, there are people standing up for social justice. Morris Dees, the attorney previously mentioned, travels across the country and speaks on behalf of this topic. Over fall break, I had the privilege of hearing him speak at Bradley University in Illinois. In an interview, he stated, in America, we, as in most countries, we live in a community of us and in them. When thinking about this simple statement, this simple sentence, it becomes more painstakingly obvious how often we use the words us and them, and how quickly that builds barriers. While we may not all be raising $24 million like Morris D's, or suing different groups for hate crimes they've committed, we can implement understanding into our daily lives. We can break down barriers by simply seeking tolerance. In the Baltimore Sun, recently, there was an article written about President Obama because he signed a law against hate crimes. He was quoted saying, no one in America should be forced to look over their shoulder simply because of who they are. There is clear evidence about the number of hate crimes taking place. Those are recorded, unarguable facts, and most people don't oppose that. But many people do believe 
responding to hate crimes simply creates more conflict. Morris Dees had an interesting response to this objection. He stated, it is important to shine the light on this, on these people, so that others can understand what they are doing. To ignore them would be like ignoring a cancer, because it can grow. Adolf Hitler began by simply performing acts of hate. But isn't it obvious from history that when left alone, he took full advantage of the situation? More recently, the genocide in Rwanda, Africa, which was preceded by months of unconfronted, hateful radio media. And this cost the lives of, ten th uh, the lives of thousands of innocent people. From the different cases I've shared with you, you can see that hate crimes are very present in Indiana, the United States, and across the world. If everyone sits back and watches, it is quite possible this will continue to escalate. In last April alone, there were 32 conferences held by neo-Nazis in the United States. One neo-Nazi leader was quoted in the USA Today saying, when the economy suffers, people are looking for answers. We are that answer for white people. If we stand strong against hate crimes, against the us and the them, we can make an impact on our surroundings. You can break down barriers by simply sitting at a different lunch table. Or you could take a few extra minutes out of your day to visit the Southern Poverty Law Center website and read more about how you can teach others tolerance. Perhaps simply creating a broader sense of awareness is the key to standing strong against hate crimes. I believe in the power of music. I inherited this belief from my late grandfather, Harold Newman. Some of my earliest memories of my grandfather are of him sitting by the big box speakers after a family dinner, listening to classical music. He had his eyes closed, but I knew he wasn't sleeping. This was a chance for him to recharge and rest. My grandfather loved good music, and he loved places where that music was beautiful to listen to. He and my grandmother moved to Goshen from Matamora, Illinois, later in his life. And I know that one of the draws of Goshen for him was Souter Hall. As a man who cherished music, the best concert hall in the country was certainly a draw for him. When he died last spring, my cousins and I sang at his funeral. We sang hymn number 472 in the Blue Mennonite Hymnal, I Am the Bread of Life. I know that on that day, my grandfather was sitting above us with his eyes closed, soaking in the beauty of that song. If I hear that song in church or chapel, I prefer to close my eyes and just listen, just soak it all in. While attending Goshen High School, I was a member of the Advanced Crimson Choir, and we were pretty good. Yet, I left high school with a somewhat negative feeling towards my overall choir experience. All three years that I was a member, we finished in second place at the state choir competition. And all three of those years, it was the same school, North Central High School, that beat us. <clears throat> the North Central robots, as we called them, with minor contempt, were students of a magnet school for music in Indianapolis. Goshen was merely a public school from northern Indiana that didn't draw any extra students because we were good at music. 
My senior year, we were so close to beating North Central. The judges ranked us first, first, and sixth. The real killer is that this third judge thought he had put us in the top three, and if he had, we would have won. But he didn't keep track of his points for the day and put us in sixth. I have the three songs we sang at State in my iTunes, but no matter how good that music was, I don't ever want to listen to it again. Music does not bring me only to feel contemplative or resentful, however. There have been times in my life when music has brought me to tears out of sheer joy. Yet I've found music to have power not only over emotions, but over memories as well. Certain artists and albums remind me of a very precise time in my past. I think this is somewhat common, yet I find it very interesting. For example, when I hear Under the Influence of Giants, I immediately think of my sophomore golf season. The Red Hot Chili Peppers Stadium Arcadium brings back memories of a certain level of the World of Warcraft from the summer before my sophomore year. (laughs) The sun and the moon complete by the bravery reminds me strongly of my month in Germany and Austria two summers ago. I hope that most of you have had a similar experience with music, perhaps not the negative memories, but I see it as a gift for music to be able to flood my mind with memories from great times in my past. Music is a wonderful gift from God. I hope we all never forget to embrace it. Thanks.